You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, it's great to be with you guys. And in case you're just starting to come here, it's your first week. We've been in this series of conversations conversations or teachings called God Moments, and we've given a definition to God Moments. It's basically these experiences of God's loving activity in our lives that change us. And we've talked about some of the miraculous kinds of God moments, you know, where we're miraculously rescued. We call that amazing rescues. And if you've been around the church for a number of years, you've heard some of my like miracle glory stories, right? You've heard stories of when God's miraculously rescued me or when God has healed someone, we've seen that, or when a demon has been cast out or when some word has been given from God that turned out to be true and accurate. But what I want you to understand is is that what you hear from me most of the time up here is kind of a highlight reel of my life. And I only have so many of those miracle stories, you know? And if you've been around for a while, I repeat those stories from time to time. And some of you nudge your spouse and you're like, oh yeah, Pastor Doug's going to tell the story of when X, Y, and Z happened. I've heard this story before, right? And the reason is I only have a limited number of those stories. And I don't feel so bad about that because even the Bible writers and the the characters in the Bible, other than Jesus, uh, they only had a handful of miracle stories themselves. And so, um, you know, I know some of you have experienced miracles just like me, and others of you have had, just like me, times where you prayed for a miracle, you asked God to do something miraculous, and it didn't happen, you know? Some of you perhaps have prayed for a marriage, and that marriage ended in divorce. Maybe you prayed for a friend or loved one that was sick only to watch them die. You know, maybe you uh, prayed to get pregnant and you're still looking at negative pregnancy tests. I mean, on and on we could go about these things that we've prayed for. We've asked for God to do something and nothing seems to happen. And whatever that thing is you pray for the most that hadn't yet happened, it could be what we're going to call your thorn. Let me give you a definition of a spiritual thorn. It's a heart pain or a physical limitation that's outside your control. You keep praying for God to do something, but it's outside your control. That could be your spiritual thorn. Now, I've got this friend who years ago, I mean, he's seen all these miracles happen. He's seen like bona fide, legit, verifiable miracles And yet when he asked God to like heal his own daughter, his daughter continued to struggle with the sickness. And he got angry because his theology didn't allow for God to sovereignly make choices about when his power goes out. And this friend was so angry at God, coupled with the theology that he held to, that uh, he spent 30 years shipwrecked in his faith. He didn't have what I'm going to call a theology of the thorn, a theology of the thorn. 
And one of the things that I love about the Apostle Paul in the scriptures is that he'll tell his highlight reel and he'll tell his miracle stories, but he's also very raw, honest, and authentic about it when the miracle didn't happen. In fact, uh, most of us have heard, or a lot of us have heard about what's called the thorn in the flesh that Paul had, a problem that he had that he prayed to get healed and it didn't happen. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It says, three times, Paul says, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, a lot of theologians and scholars have speculated as to what Paul's thorn in the flesh may have been. Most people think it was probably a vision problem, that he was either blind or vision impaired, There are some hints of that in the scriptures. Other people have said he maybe stuttered, and there's some hints of that in the scriptures. And when you're a public speaker and you stutter, that's a problem. Others have speculated that perhaps it was that he wanted to be married and he wasn't married. Others have speculated, well, to be a Pharisee, and Paul at one time was a Pharisee, you have to be married. And so some people have speculated that perhaps he had a wife and she died I do not know for sure what his thorn in the flesh was, but what I do know is what God told him. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's why I want to submit this one idea to you today. And it's simply this. Sometimes grace is what you get and grace is all you need. And I want to say that again, and I'll say the first half of that big idea, and then I'll point to you guys online and here in the room, and I'd like you to say the second half of that big idea, and grace is all you need out loud with me. Can we do that? Here we go. Sometimes grace is what you get, and grace is all you need. It's good. And grace is all you need. And I want to show you four times where Paul prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen. Look at uh, the first one is the thorn in the flesh that we mentioned today in 2 Corinthians 12. The second one is when Paul was sick and other people had to care for him in Galatians 4. And then one time Paul left a friend of his named Trophimus sick at Miletus. He, He wasn't healed. And then the last time, the fourth time, is when Timothy had an unhealed stomach problem. And Paul said, well, you're just going to have to drink a little wine for your stomach there. And so um, these are times where the miracle didn't happen. And so my grace is all you need. I know that's a kind of a disappointing answer for some people. You want God to do something more. But if you understand biblical grace, you realize that grace is way more than what you need. Uh, Grace is actually a miracle. Grace is amazing. Grace transcends our immediate needs to meet a need that we have for all of eternity. You see? Now, I want to tell you what grace is not before I tell you what grace is. Number one, grace is not entitlement. Have you ever known someone that felt entitled? It's like, imagine for a minute if you knew someone who owed back taxes for 15 years. For most of us, that would be a significant number, right? Um, so imagine that someone had a mistake on their TurboTax for 15 years and owed back taxes for 15 years. And then imagine that same person that owed the, all the back taxes had a wealthy friend that decided to pay for his tax for, for the person's taxes for the past 15 years. That'd be a, a grace gift, wouldn't it? 
And then imagine the same person that had, you know, his, his taxes paid by his wealthy friend went to the same wealthy friend when he had a car that worked saying, I want a new car. I want a different car. See, that's entitlement, right? Grace is not entitlement. But the second thing is grace is not fairness. Look, a lot of people say, well, God should be fair. No, God is not fair. And you and I don't want God to be fair. We want his grace because if it's fair that we get, we would get judgment. The penalty of sin is death, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what we deserve is God's judgment. And so I would prefer to not get fairness. I would prefer to get his grace. Now let me show you what grace is. It's the free and unmerited, unconditional acceptance by God. Let me repeat that. It's the free and unmerited, unconditional acceptance by God. And that is an amazing thing. And so grace says my sins and guilt have been pardoned. Instead of eternal hell, when I die, I get to spend an eternity in paradise with God. And that is a huge big deal. Now, I want you to understand that I'm not minimizing our thorns. I have thorns in my life too. And I'm not minimizing those hurts or those pains or those problems that stick with you that don't seem to leave you. I'm not minimizing our thorns. I'm maximizing grace today. Grace gives us a whole new perspective about life. And when people's prayers are not answered, when good people suffer, it makes me ask the why question. God, why would you allow that really nice person to suffer? I mean, there are a lot of people that I, I, I would like it if they suffered, some people, but my, like you guys are nice people. Most of you are like, I don't want the, my people to suffer. I have to ask the question of why. But then I have to humble myself and admit most of the time, I don't know. I don't know why some people go through hard times. Um, my finite mind can't see and comprehend all the things that God sees and understands and all the dynamics at play. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. And this is where Isaiah speaks the words of God. He says, God says, my thoughts are not, nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so a lot of times God's grace says, I'm not going to fix your problem. I may not do what you want. I may not do the miracle, but I will give you the grace, the strength, and the power to make it through this short life with the thorn still in place. And when you thought you couldn't make it and somehow you had the strength to keep going, that was a God moment where he extended grace, where you could continue on the path with him. Years ago, I was a part of a church where two of our friends, they were a little bit older than Jeannie and I, and both of them had cancer. And one of them was prayed for. They were both prayed for by the elders of the church and prayed for healing. One of them was actually healed. And she's alive and well to this day enjoying her retirement. And the other lady did not get healed. And I remember when she was in the hospital suffering, dying of cancer, 
And I went to the hospital to minister to her and pray with her and encourage her and comfort her. And I'll never forget when I walked into that room, seeing her, and I'd not seen her in some amount of time. And I was shocked at how the cancer had shriveled up her body and the effect that it had had on her. And she could tell that it affected me emotionally. And I was supposed to be there to minister to her. And I'll never forget when Lynn put her hand that was, you know, half the hand it used to be on my hand. And she smiled at me with such grace. It gave me strength that came from her. Who was the strong one in the hospital that day? It wasn't me. The guy that was well, it wasn't me. Why was she so strong? Remember what Paul said. Remember what God said. My power works best in weakness. That's why Lynn had more power in the room that day than I did. Because she had learned to embrace grace in the midst of her exit from this planet. See, sometimes grace is what you get and grace is all you need. Now, here's the thing with a lot of people. A lot of people believe a lot of myths about miracles. So let me show you miracle myth number one. And that is the myth that says those who experience miracles are always the spiritually strong. Okay. You ever heard that myth or thought that myth? You thought, oh, that person experienced miracles. So they've got to be a spiritually strong person. Now, is it true that God does validate some of his servants and certain works through miracles. Yes, that is true. Let me nuance it a little bit and show it to you in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. It says there, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful what? Miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. So Jesus was validated by the miracles that he did, but look at the rest of the passage. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. So is it always true that miracles validate the true work of God? I would say, no, it's not always true. And you only need to go to Matthew to find that out. In Matthew, you see these people coming before Jesus in judgment. It's chapter 7, verse 22. It says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many what? Miracles in your name. Jesus says, but I will reply, I never knew you. And so for Jesus, relationship is more important than the miraculous. There'll be people that will feel entitled because they've seen miracles in and through their lives. People who prophesy accurately people who have cast out demons and seen many different types of miracles in their lives, and they'll stand before Jesus thinking that they're going to be, be getting the greatest rewards when the reality is many of them, Jesus will say, I never knew you. And it's because those who suffer well get intimate with him. Those who suffer well get some of the greatest rewards. That is a part of a theology of the thorn. Those with thorns often are rewarded well in heaven. And I often hear the second myth about miracles from our spiritual investigators here in the church. And here, here's the second myth. And that's, if God would do a miracle for me, I would believe. 
if God would just do a little magic trick, then I'd go full on and live for God and live my life for God. And that's actually not true. You wouldn't. There's a story in the Gospels of this guy, and he was a rich guy. And if he was alive today, he would have like an Armani suit, man. He, he would be well put together. He'd be very well dressed. And they didn't have cars back in those days, but maybe he had a camel, and it would have been like a sports camel, right? And it would have been a sports camel with hydraulics, you know? He's like basing down the road, you know, curb feelers and spinners on the camel, right? I mean, this is a high-tech camel that he had, rich guy. But the guy in the Armani suit, I don't know how he died. Maybe it was a camel accident when he's basing down the road, but he died and he ended up going to hell. And he sees Abraham in heaven, you know, across the chasm between heaven and hell. And he asks for something. And we see his request in Luke chapter 16, verse 30. He's asking for, he wants someone to go back and warn his relatives. He says, if someone is sent to them, my, my relatives from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. See, he believed that miracles will always convince people. And sometimes miracles will help people to believe. But suffering helps people to get intimate with God in relationship, you see. So embracing the thorn of grace changes our paradigms and perspectives. See, prior to Paul's grace encounter, he had an experience that changed his mindset. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven. 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or outside my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise. So you're like, what's the third heaven? Well, whatever it is, it's paradise. And Paul says, I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. So this experience kind of messed with his Paul's time-space continuum. And when he went to the third heaven or paradise, whatever it is, he encountered the wholeness, the health, the well-being and harmony of everyone there. And that place where God dwells, the paradise, has been there all of eternity past. And it will be there all of eternity future. And perhaps Paul realized there in paradise that when we experience miracles, it's like an aberration. It's the exception. But in that reality in paradise, it'll be around long after human history, and it was around long before human history. And so could it be when you look at the bigger picture of eternity that our sickness, our disease, our sin, our dysfunction is actually the aberration or the exception, or the small slice of time when you compare it to all of eternity future and all of eternity past. See, it changed his perspective, and it gave him a new sense of hope. Now, when I use the word hope in English, you think if I hope something that what I hope for might happen. But in the New Testament, Koine Greek, that 
these passages were written in, hope meant something altogether different. Look at hope. It's the, the Greek word elpis, and it means expectation of what is what? Say the word sure. It's certain. That's hope. And so when these writers talk about the hope of eternity, it's a sure thing. It's money in the bank. It's legit. It's going to happen. See, so um, if anyone alive today that I'm aware of, that I've read, that I've listened to, believes that miracles happen, it's pastor and author Bill Johnson of the Bethel Church in Redding, California. And I went out and visited that church a few years ago. I'm not trying to convince you to like Bill Johnson or not like Bill Johnson, but I think he's an interesting guy. And this past year, many people from their church and their global movement were praying for Bill Johnson's wife, Benny, who had cancer. And if if ever there was a church in the world that believed in and prayed for legit healing, it's Bethel Church in Redding, California. Well, unfortunately, Benny passed away. She didn't get healed. The miracle didn't happen. She died and transitioned to heaven. And I tried to put myself in Bill Johnson's shoes for just a minute, thinking, what would it feel like if my life partner, wife, best friend on this earth were to pass away? And let me, t- let me share a quote from Bill Johnson and what he said about it. He said, God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into it and withdraw from him what I want. He chooses what he gives. But it is the wicked at heart that say, God didn't do what I wanted. He is a liar. May I never be found critiquing God when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready to be critiqued by him. God is my friend. He is. is God my friend? He is. But he is my Lord first. And I'll never have the pain I'm feeling right now in eternity. So in this moment, it's a privilege to respond rightly to the Lord of my life with deeper trust and devotion. I bow before the lamb on the throne in awe and worship him forever. But never will I have the face-to-face chance to do that while I'm in pain, except in this life. So in this moment, I choose to do that. When I said yes to Jesus, I gave up my right to fully understand or be in charge of my life. That's a very profound response to losing the love of his life. That is a very godly response to suffering. Years ago, I saw the story of young Elliot Mooney, just a baby, and his parents. And if ever I've seen a story of someone who illustrates the truth that sometimes grace is what you get and grace is all you need, it's Elliot Mooney. And we brought his story by way of video today. Go ahead and take a look. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edward syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We are praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, you were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. 
Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You're also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh seven pounds, three ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at eight pounds, 14 ounces, quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. An underdeveloped lung, 
a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons, each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch, how quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well, and although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. We know that couple, Elliot's parents, they have a thorn, don't they? Loss of their son. But they chose to lean into grace and celebrate the time, the 99 balloons, the 99 days that they got to spend with their son. You know, for people like Elliot's parents and for many of us, we thank Jesus that we get to have a relationship with him because he knows a thing or two about having thorns. In fact, he had a whole crown of thorns because of our sin that made it possible for us to receive this amazing grace that we've been talking about all day. And so perhaps there's someone here today that's never had love relationship with God and you would want that. What do you say we bow for prayer? As we bow before the Lord, if you would like love relationship with Jesus, just in your own heart, in your own way, just tell him, hey, look, Jesus, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that the crown of thorns was placed upon your head because of my sin. And you died there to take the punishment for me. And you rose again from the dead to give me new life. Welcome into my life. And others of us have thorns. And the best we know how, we say, Jesus, today we want to lean in to your grace. And the best we know how, worship and praise you even when it hurts. So as we sing together, why don't we stand together and worship our good God of such amazing grace. Even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. And even when I have no song, and I'll praise you And even when it's hard to find The words louder than I sing your praise Ooh, only sing your praise Take these 
before the Lord if you got a thorn a thorn that just immediately comes to your mind that just hurts just show me your hand real quick show me your hand God you see the hands all over this room many of us have these and God the best we know how we're choosing today to lean into your grace knowing that when we've been in paradise for 85 billion years, the thorns and the bad experiences and painful experiences of this life will seem like a distant memory. And we long for that day to be with you. But until then, we ask for healing or we ask for an even greater miracle, which is just grace grace and as you give us grace to make it through the suffering may we grow more and more intimate with you knowing that we're most intimate with those with whom with with which we suffer with so we just need your nearness as we have to bring these painful things to our minds and we know you're good and you're kind and gentle and you care about your kids. So we thank you for the grace that you're extending to us today. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Well, as you guys take off from church today, may you walk from here and thanking him for each thing that you would put on a balloon. Walk in his grace, knowing that sometimes grace is what you get and grace is all you need. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.